2: You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts.
1: Welcome in to episode five of Blue Jays Nation Radio. He is Cam Lewis. I am Tyler Uremchuk and the Blue Jays royally fucked up against Kansas City. That was uh, if they would have taken two out of the four games, I still probably would have sat here and been like, ooh, passing grade, but not but not a great performance. They dropped three or four against Kansas city. Cam Lewis. That is that's, that's just not good, man.
2: Yeah. What else is new? Like when, when, when do you roll into Kansas city Kauffman oh. stadium, a place of shadows, a place of darkness, a place of bad memories, a place of forgotten dreams and have a good time. You never do. It's always bad. And it's no surprise. Honestly, we were so charged up and we were so happy after that walk off against the Yanks. But just like in 2015, we were so excited and so happy after Jose Bautista. And they went to Kansas City and they ruined everything. because so that's what the Royals do. They ruin everything. They're awful. I they hate them.
1: You're right. It's a, it is a very, very dark stadium. And th- this felt like the Rangers series all over again. Like you go back through the losses for the Jays. They drop a 7-5 decision on Thursday where they have the big comeback ever. It even looks in the ninth inning like they're going to put something together And then they don't, they drop a walk-off decision, your Salvador Perez home run, blah, blah, blah. That one you're sitting there in a seven inning game going, okay, they should be able to stretch this into extras and find a way to get the job done here. And then you go against in this last game where they lose two nothing and fuck man, like in the last 12 innings of this series to basically not piss a drop offensively, that's embarrassing. Like this team's bread and butter was supposed to be their ability to produce runs.
2: Yeah, it's it's, we're, it's shocking. We, we we expected to see this team just like put numbers on the boards and they haven't done that. I mean, especially in game two of the doubleheader, they went up against Irvin Santana, who, I mean, like what? Irvin Santana is still in the league over the past, his past two seasons, 2018, 19, because he didn't pitch in 20 in the coronavirus year. His ERA was like 850. And he came this year, made his first start in like two years and shut the Jays down for like three innings. And it's like, how does that happen? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of downs to get to and we're going to dig into those now. It's 3 up 3 down to kick off the podcast brought to you by Twig Twiggenberries. Head check out twiggenberries.ca. Their very online nutsack sack underwear you can save 15% with the promo code NATION15. Let's dig into those downs cuz the offense was wow. grim and there were some poor decisions sort of all over the place but the first down we have and this one dominated the conversation on Twitter. Man, Charlie Montoyo loves his bunting. And uh, apparently Jonathan Davis also loves his bunting, which is an issue. uh, Like there's basically two issues with that one at bat from Jonathan Davis
2: where there were three attempted bunts, I believe. Yeah. He was bunting with uh, two strikes. And I I, I don't know. I don't know where your head's at when that's happening. I don't know if that was, was that him being like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Or was it the bench being like, you have to bunt, like what? I don't know what's going on in that situation, but that is not what you want to say. And he came out
1: after and said something along the lines of like, the bunt signal was pulled off, but I wanted to get one down. And one, if you're Charlie Montoyo and a player at the plate is like deciding in their brain that it's a good idea to try lay one down with two strikes. I'm probably not playing that guy for a while. Like that's a decision that like it's indefensible almost. And the other way around, if it was Montoyo who like has it in these guys brains that it's okay to do that, then that's also a huge problem. I'm not a guy who is, 100% anti-bunt I think I've said that before on this podcast yeah. I I think you know with two on and you know none out if you want to lay one down because you want to try get one run across that inning like sure do it I think there's a time and a place for it is the time and the place with two strikes and like a runner on second or some shit no
2: that's certainly no, not the time not for when it, you're so. facing these these pitchers that Kansas City yeah. has either right like yeah maybe if you're going up against you know jacob de grom and he's just like carving everybody up and you can't get anything going and you're like all right i'm gonna try and get this run over to third base so we can get like a sack fly or something sure but you're going up against like extremely hittable pitchers that aren't that good and you're just giving them free outs and that's you know that's exactly what they don't need not this this one does not need to be doing that right now because it, it seems like every time someone comes up to black up to bat that's not named blad they're like already down 0-2 in the count that's just like how it starts
1: And and this kind of ties in like the offense in the last two games was brutal. Like you mentioned uh, Santana, but like Singer, Brady Singer is out there shutting down the Toronto Blue Jays for essentially six innings, like revenge game, revenge game for Brady Singer. But like, you can't be getting
2: shut down by guys like Brady Singer. If you want to try to compete for the AL East. No, you can't be getting shut down by Urban Santana, like 2021 Urban Santana. He's like 77 years old. Brady Singer I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a different story because it was this big revenge game. Jays drafted him in 2015 second round, I think it was, at a high school. And he did not sign. Um, the Jays didn't offer him enough cash and he was pissed about it, I would imagine. And then he went to the University of Florida and he sat there and threw like darts at a wall with a picture of like Alex Anthopoulos and Paul <laughs> Beast and the Blue Jays logo. And he just like still harbors that resentment against the Blue Jays. And he's had this game circled in his calendar for like four years. And he just like, Hooked the Jays like nonstop on Sunday, just like <laughs> now he's so happy. He just feels so good. He's just going back and like looking at the like offer that they gave him when they drafted him, just insulted by it and just so angry. Just feel so good about himself.
1: <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next down here. <laughs> and it's uh it's Charlie Montoyo's bullpen management. And this was double not... Montoyo
2: complaints today, hey.
1: Yeah, we're we're going double in on the Montoyo double, complaints. Double. <laughs> But I mean, a little bit separate because the bunting thing, like maybe wasn't entirely his fault if it was indeed Jonathan Davis, like going out on a limb, being like, fuck it. I think I can get one down here. But the bullpen management was a, was a bit of an issue for some people. I saw, I saw BK was, was talking about, you know, like using Dolis when he could have rolled out mats again. And I a hundred percent agree with that yeah. point. Like the win probability of you just rolling out a guy for another inning who clearly had the Royals number, like you could have saved your guys. It would have been nice to get through a full seven inning game and go, we didn't have to touch our bullpen in that one, especially in a four game series when you've been playing so much baseball lately, bullpen management was a bit of a problem.
0: Yeah.
2: I was shocked to see Matt's come out of that first game. I thought he also just, I also just thought he deserved a chance to just complete the whole game. Just thought he was pitching well enough that it was like, okay, this guy deserves to have a complete game next to this. And it's only seven innings. So whatever. But then also it's like you were warming up Phelps. And then you brought Doleys so That's two guys you automatically couldn't use in game two, which was weird. And there's, you know, everyone's injured right now. Romano's out. Um, Merriweather's out. Yates obviously injured. Chatwood too. So you only really have a couple of like, only a, like two or three good guys who you'd like to see late in the game. And by using those two pitchers in that like totally pointless situation, they ended up then having to use TJ Zoig in a, the highest leverage spot in Sunday's must-win game. And, like, that went exactly how you thought it was going to go. Like, Zoik's okay. He's, you know, like an innings kind of a vacuum that, you know, he can every every once in a while come in and pitch four or five innings. It'll be fine. It won't be very good. But, you know, that's his role. His role is not coming in the seventh inning of a tie game to face the two, three, and four hitters on Kansas City, one of whom is Sal Perez It's beating the shit out of the Jays because he just hasn't gotten enough of it. Like, he's not sick of it yet from 2015. He's still like, yeah, absolutely, fuck the Blue Jays. I want to fuck them up. Yeah. And he's still doing it six years later. And it's like, it was predictable. And it's like, if you had managed your pen properly the day before, then you could have brought in Phelps or Dolice, And like, that was the key situation of that game. But I mean, also like at the end of the day, like the Jays didn't score a single run on Sunday. So like, that is why they lost. But yeah. Charlie's bullpen management in this weekend was weird. And it's also like, it was weird last year too. Like (laughs) nothing new. Like, I think mean, that's why it's so frustrating, right? Is we're we're so used to now Charlie making bizarre decisions like Sam Gavilio in high leverage situations, like you know it's like it's like that all over again. Yeah, that was a that, long rant. I'm sorry that was a well, no, that's fair.
1: I mean, <laughs> it just and... feels
2: like it just feels like deja vu here. It's like it's Sammy G. It it's all over again. Same thing. It's so frustrating.
1: The uh, third down we have for three up three down is Randall Gritchok going cold, and in his last four games he has a total of. Or 8 12 15. I did that math on the fly there. Shout out to me. He has 15 <laughs> 15 plate appearances and the guy only has two hits. Um, Randall Grichuk early in the year was probably the yeah. best story in this lineup. This is just kind of, I mean, we should have seen this coming. Maybe it's unfair to say it's about, but like we know he's a streaky guy. He gets uh-huh. really hot and then he gets really cold. Right now, he's really cold.
2: Yeah, that was a like you said, it was great to see Randall killing it earlier in the year. And to be fair to Randall, like he's been unreal in the field. Like he made a sweet catch on Sunday. He's been great for the Jays in the outfield. So it's not like he's a total donkey out there, but like, yeah, now all of a sudden Grieschuk's down to a 754 OPS. And he was, it's, it's uh, yeah. Today, our Sunday, he struck out four times and four at bats. It was just some ugly swings. Like it just looks kind of hopeless at the plate. And really we're at a point now where there's only two guys on the team. And it's Bow and Vlad, who you, Really, ever think are going to come up with hit like Marcus Semyon's OPS is now down to 610. Like, you know, you need, I don't think we expect Griechuk and Semyon to be like the catalysts of this offense, of this offense, but like they need to be better than that because that's like there's so many black holes in the lineup right now, and you can expect a black hole lower in the order from, you know, like a Joe Panic or like a, um, you know Davis, even or an Espinal or whatever catcher yeah. position, that kind of thing. But you can't be getting that from precheck and Semyon. They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be above average hitters, and, and that has not been the case lately. And I don't want to be making
1: excuses here at all because that's not what I like doing. But we're going to get into get into this in the ops here. But like Springer is apparently close. Hernandez could be getting close as well. And you look at this team; they're struggling to produce runs as of late, or at least in the last couple of games. And you kind of go. And they are missing two of their better hitters in terms of Hernandez and, and Springer. So you kind of hope that like when those two guys are back, hopefully it gives you four players, those two, Bo and Vlad, who you can kind of count on to always give you good at bats, at least even if they're not getting a hit. And it bumps some of those black holes that, that they're, they have right now a little bit further down and bumps a couple of them out of the lineup as well. Uh, we'll get into that in the ups here in just a second. But uh, Randall getting cold is far from ideal. Um, the three ups here. Let's, let's start with the positive injury news. Cause I yeah. kind of ended this last point with it, getting Hernandez and Springer back. I just touched on why I think it's big, but it, it it's sort of easy to forget that those two guys aren't here. And this Jays lineup could get better with just some positive injury news, which is apparently coming.
2: Yeah. So what we learned today about our Sunday, because it's not today, but we're yeah. recording on Sunday is that George Springer is now doing all baseball activities, meaning he's running the bases, he's taking swings, he's playing in the field, he's pitching, he's catching, he's managing. He's doing everything (laughs) baseball-related, which is awesome. And so there was a report earlier from Rob Longley of The Sun that says Springer might be available to join the Jays on their road trip. It wouldn't be in Boston, obviously, because that's coming up right away. But Tampa Bay, the series uh, against the Rays on the weekend, is possible. And that'd be great because that race series is very important. Like we talked about this many a times on the podcast, like Toronto's head to head against Tampa is like, it's a huge this year. Like, I mean, the Yankees are struggling. Yeah, they're, they're bad, but beating those two teams head to head, especially Tampa, I think is super important. So getting Springer back, that'd be great. And then the other one here is Teoscar Hernandez, who of course has COVID-19 tested positive and has been quarantining from the team is Recovered, healthy and symptom free and quote ready for baseball. But he of course can't be uh, taken out of that. It's a major league baseball demands a 10 day quarantine. So I think he was put in on the Friday. So he will be ready until the end of this upcoming weekend. I think.
1: Yeah. He'll have to wait until after 10 days would be the 26th, which is right after that Rays series. So could potentially have him back on the lineup on the 27th when they take on the nationals in Dunedin for a two game set.
0: Right.
2: So that's, nice especially springer like the the having springer at the the top of the lineup setting the table would be such a game changer honestly like like Semyon has not really been good in that spot i think he he looks better in the lineup batting like six Mm -hmm. or seven more of like a power hitting role than like an on-base role he's not that great of an on-base guy but springer has very good at bats and that's what you want at the top because you want people to be on base for bow and vlad which is really just not happening
1: and you run that for sure, right? Like it's Springer yes. one, Bichette two, Vlad three, Easy. and Hernandez four when he's back. Like I that's probably so, yeah. your one,
2: two, three, four. Yeah, that's your one, two, three, four. There. No. I even Mudova. think,
1: like, from a mental perspective of the players and also like us, the fans, like just getting to see George Springer take yeah. regular at bats and be in the lineup will almost give us like a second wave of excitement for yeah. this
2: season. I think that'll 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 be a thing for the team mm-hmm. too. I do think they will get quite uplifted by having George yeah. Springer in their lineup. That'll be, that'll be a game changer for the players.
1: The second up we have here in three up, three down brought to you by Twig and berries is Vlad Guerrero. And we heard about it for, you know, oh, fuck. this is an interesting one for me because I was one person who bought into the hype hard. I remember watching Tim and Sid when they were showing his fucking batting practice live on the air before his debut. I remember they had a prospect analyst on who was like Vlad is already a top five hitter in Major League Baseball before he'd even taken a fucking plate appearance in the big leagues. And I was in, I was like, this guy's legit. Um, And it took him a while. And I think the expectations were just too high. But what we're seeing this year is a guy who's now fifth in batting average, fifth in OPS, and consistently not just, you know, getting on base, getting hits, putting together solid at bats. It feels like he's turned a corner in his development
2: here. Yeah, absolutely. He looks at the plate like a completely different hitter than we've seen in the past two years. Like when he came up, you know, the numbers that he put up in double A and triple A were historically good. And, you know, it wasn't just, oh, this guy is going to be good because his last name is Guerrero and his dad's a hall of famer. No, it was like, there was, there was merit to it. Like nobody had put together numbers like that in the minor leagues ever. He was hitting everything. And then, you know, he came up and he, he had a bit of a hard time. And I think one of the issues was, I mean, we all know about him being in not so great of shape. Mm-hmm. That was obviously a challenge and he worked around that. And I think that's been key to him breaking out this year. But I also think I'd go out on a limb and say that given his like spectacular natural talent that Vlad hadn't really dealt with much adversity baseball wise in his life. And he came up and dealt with at the major league level pitchers that were very good and could, you know, pitch him and could throw balls by him and work around them and like, you know, do things like that. And then I think it gets in your head a little bit and you get a bit discouraged. And then, you know, we took this off season and worked ridiculously hard, got into very good shape and now he's feeling good. And it's like, I think he believes now like 110% that he is like an MVP caliber hitter in this league. And he's, he's ready to be like a, like, like a star player in this league now and isn't intimidated at all by any pitchers. And you see that when he's batting, he never looks intimidated. He just every pitch, like it looks like something he can hit. And when he puts the bat in the ball, it's like, damn, like he just fucking drills it. Like I think he's only not been on base once this game or once this season. Sorry. Like even if it's just drawing a walk, like he has a hit in all but I think three of the games. And it's like I wouldn't be shocked if he just keeps this up up like all year and puts up a uh, over a thousand OPS and he's in the MVP conversation. Like I think Vlad's arrived
1: you, your hot take in our first ever episode was he would have an OPS of over a thousand. And right now it's at 1174. And I like that point you made. I think this might be, this might be more than just a heater for Vlad. Like this might become the norm for Vladimir Guerrero jr. And that's not to say there won't be five, six games where he's cold, but I think he'll always find a way for the majority of ball games or for the majority of stretches to be at what we're seeing right now. And I think I think it's almost fair to expect it at this point. Like I know it's yeah. early in the year and I don't want to be, you know, just hyping him the, hyping up because it's April and he's ripping the cover off the ball. But I, I personally think he's turned a corner here. Uh, you mentioned good pitching and that ties in nicely to our third up here and that would be Steven Matz. Um, yeah, is, is this the
2: norm for Steven Matz? Well, the thing is, is like Steven Mats has always had talent. Like, yeah. I remember back in the day, it was with the Mets. Like in 2015, it was, you know, Matt Harvey, Jacob DeGrom, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, and Stephen Matz. Those are the five guys. And like, Matt's is kind of the forgotten name there. Like, he doesn't have the same name power as the other four guys. But that's what the Mets always said. Once we have all five of these guys healthy and rolling, like we're going to go back to the World Series. They went in 2015 and then kind of hit a, like fell off a clip after that. But that's the thing with Matt's, is he's been up and down with injuries 2017 missed a good chunk of the year 2018 dealt with some minor stuff last year was just a gong show but then again like it was a gong show for a lot of guys like a lot of guys had awful seasons last year because there was no spring training like you you couldn't get revved up properly doing your little summer camp for two weeks facing exclusively your teammates it's not the same as a you know a month in florida where you're following a program and you're building up and then you know mass was a disaster but he comes here and they've you know done different things with his, um you know, they've changed his mechanics a little bit and he's looks extremely good through 18 and one third innings. He's only allowed three earned runs. Like he completely mowed down the Royals. And I mean, the Royals aren't an amazing offense, but you know, like he looked really good. Like just pounding the zone, like good stuff. He's not allowing any home runs because that was his big issue last year. He allowed 4.1 homer per nine. Yeah. And this year he's only allowed, I think one dinger and that would have been against Texas. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, no, he looks like a, it's not just out of the blue though. And that's the thing with Matt. It's like highly regarded guy had some good seasons when he was younger votes for rookie of the year. Once upon a time, like there's talent there. And now we're honestly in a point in conversation where if Matt's keeps doing this, like, is he a key part of the blue Jays future? Is he someone where you're like, let's lock this guy up for three, four years.
1: Whew, that'd be interesting right now, Steven Matz. He is 29 years old. So there's, a, I mean, he's almost, 30 he'll be turning 30 in the next month or so or whatever here um but there's could be a lot of baseball left in this guy like it's not uncommon for a pitcher to be yeah. going into his mid-30s be giving you a good start so and
2: how many better free agents are there this year like who would you rather chuck money at like people talk about Noah Syndergaard would you rather chuck money at Noah Syndergaard or would you rather just re-sign Steven Matt
1: I, I think I'd probably still take Noah Syndergaard but like the list is short And it kind of falls off a bit of a cliff as well. So like, yeah, I, I, at this point right now, like, yeah, I'm definitely down to bring back Steven Matz. It is a long season, but only three
2: starts. Of course.
1: Yeah. The the upside is clearly there and he's showing that he can hit it for more than just one start. right? Like if it'd be a totally different conversation, if he was like average for two and then like had a really good start and we're sitting here being like, Oh, he's fucking arrived. But it's been like consistent, like a, a bit of consistency from him, which is interesting. Um, before we keep moving on here, you dug up something interesting when it comes to Irvin Santana and I thought this was funny.
2: Yeah, I had to, I had to go and find this because I was watching the Santana start and I was expecting the Jays to put up like 17 runs on him in two innings. Like I was thinking this is going to be Edwin Jackson, but for another team. So this will be fun. That wasn't the case. And while Irvin Santana was pitching, since I was so bothered by the blue Jays bats, I went into baseball reference or digging around. And what I found was Irvin Santana's first ever start against the Toronto Blue Jays, which came on August the 15th, 2005. So Santana pitched. He was a rookie that year. He went six innings, allowed three earned runs. He was faced um, on the opposite side by the legendary Gustavo Chassin. Oh, yeah. And the pitcher who in the bottom of the 11th inning got walked off for the Blue Jays was Pete Walker. Pitching coach 37 years old. And that's how long Urban uh, Santana has been in the league.
1: He ended up pitching with the Jays until 06. And keep in mind, I'm essentially a toddler. Like I was born <laughs> in 97. So for me, like I really don't remember anything like pre even like 08 or 09 for the Jays. Like I don't have that sort of memory. Hearing like Edwin Jackson who pitched today at one point pitched in the same game as Pete Walker was mind boggling for me.
2: Yeah. So Pete Walker that season, 2005, he was 36 years no. old, not 37. I was wrong. Pitched 84 innings as a reliever and put up a three, five, four era. Pretty good even, stuff. Even in
1: his 37 uh, year old season, he ended up pitching 30 innings for the
2: Jays that year. Yeah. That was the, the 2006, the 2016 that could have been a playoff team. If they had two wildcard teams at the time. But there was not. Uh, yeah, That's interesting. that was the first. That was the first Blue Jays season I like very vividly remember watching. The O6 oh, was six? pretty sick. Yeah, that was the year. The off season, Riccardi went out and acquired like Benji Molina, Lyle Overbay, Troy Gloss, um, AJ Burnett, BJ Ryan. Like crazy off season, like two thousand, like pre two thousand thirteen level crazy shit. Like went out and acquired all these guys, and they were quite good. Like the Jays that year finished 87-75, but. I think the big thing that dragged them down that year was the fact that Josh Towers, who was pretty good the year before, made 12 starts and went two and 10 with an 842 ERA. <laughs> and they just like kept tossing them out. They're like, fuck it, man. Like you, you figure it out. It's all good. <laughs> it's like Tanner <laughs> Rourke, man. Like, at least the Jays had the wherewithal this year to be like, all right, Tanner Rourke had one bad start. We're pulling the plug on this ship. And, like, yeah. Josh Towers, 2006, just kept going. That's insane.
1: Maybe uh, maybe you should put some respect on Tanner Rourke's name because he went one in the third and didn't give up an earned run. Well,
2: diesel engine's looking pretty good in the bullpen now. Maybe yeah. the Jays have found, <laughs> <they've> <laughs> found themselves a new late game weapon. <laughs> you, got him, you got out of a jam this game uh, on Sunday and uh, you know it didn't, it didn't look that bad, right? Like,
1: <laughs> Could, and I'm asking you this question legitimately, could you imagine a scenario where it's like an important game down the stretch or like the fucking card game and like Tanner Rourke's getting warmed up in the pen and you aren't freaking out. Like, could you imagine a scenario where he pitches well enough in the bullpen to like come into a high leverage situation? You're like, you know what? I'm okay with this.
2: Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, <laughs> I guess like last year we were in a situation where who were the seven, eight and ninth inning guys. It was like Jordan Romano who had been like a rule five draft castaway who came back. Um, Rafael Dolis who n- nobody enjoys watching pitch. It's jarring. Even if he balls. does well, I'm like, yeah, it's stressful. And then Anthony Bass, just like an like a waiver wire guy. And yeah. it's like, that worked like, <laughs> sure. Why not, man? It's the bullpen. Like it's literally the hot hand. Like if you're, if you're getting outs, then just keep letting them go. Like who cares if Tanner, <laughs> it sounds stupid, but if Tanner rogue is getting guys up, fuck it. Like just keep it rolling and see what happens. I don't know. Whatever.
1: Okay. Uh, that was three up, three down brought to you by twig and berries.ca. Check them out. Promo code nation 15 gets you 15% off. I wanted to dig into some trade talk, but I'm looking at the timer right now and we are cruising along in this episode and we're trying to keep them around 30 minutes. So I'm going to table the trade talk for this episode and we might get into a little bit on Wednesday because there was some interesting shit I was digging around. Um, but I want to get into this because it ties into our last episode where we had Neil Keef who dubbed himself negative Neil when it comes to the Yankees. And I
2: fucking wish we had some good rants recently. Some well, really good ones, yeah.
1: Like he put out a Twitter poll. Like if you didn't listen to our last episode, go back and just listen to this dude. Before the Yankees came, he sent out a poll, being like, "How will the Yankees ruin my night?" And it had a bunch of different options. And then they go down two nothing to the Rays, which like isn't even insurmountable by any means. And he's already tweeting the two of us, being like, "How can I become a Jays fan?" Like I fucking hate this team.
2: Yeah, and then the Yankees one, one guy fans replies- are. Imp- replies, he's like oh to become a jays fan then all you have to do is announce your hatred of the yankees and neil's like i do that every single day
1: (laughs) someone else said you had to bathe in labat blue and like talk about how much you hate the royals and i was like yeah fuck that's that's fair enough too but um the yankees are a shit show right now they're now five and ten on the year their fans were like throwing baseballs yeah their fans Um,
2: have snapped it's insane like the Yankees are you know so when that happened it was um on their Saturday it was was it on Saturday no, it was on Friday night and at that time I think they're only like five and seven or five and eight like they're not even that bad like whatever it's a slow start The yeah. fans were melting down like throwing balls on the field like booing relentlessly and it was like what is happening right now like you guys have made the playoffs like five consecutive seasons. Like you're carrying on as if you're the 2013 Jays and you've missed the playoffs for two decades straight and you're off to a bad start. Like relax. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Like how, how, how upset they get at just even the team just being kind of bad, like they're not that bad. They're obviously going to come back. Right. Like they're not going to, they're not, they're not going to win. They're not going to finish below 500 this year. It's not going to happen. Like, there's too much talent on the team for that to happen.
1: Last year, this team, this Yankees team, won 10 games in 10 days from September 9th to September 19th. Like They're capable of getting hot. It's largely the same group. But 5 and 10, Like I, I'm still thinking the Yankees are going to find a way to win this division. But I will admit, I am. I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than I thought it was two weeks ago. Like I, I think this division is way more up for grabs than maybe we thought it was at the beginning of the year. And of course the dog days will even this out by the time we get to middle July, things will look vastly different. But right now you're looking at the, at this division, it's basically flipped of what you kind of <laughs> thought it would be at the start of the year. And this thing is up for grabs. Like, and that's what almost makes it more irritating that the Jays are losing like one in two run games to the fucking Kansas city Royals. is because it's like, If you just get, if you got your shit done at a decent level against Texas and KC, you're loving life right now, and you're sitting right up there at the top of the division. But like you, you don't beat these objectively bad baseball teams, and you're in the basement with the Yankees when you could be like putting yourself in such a good spot early on in the season here.
2: Yeah, even if they, you just flip one of the Kansas City games, like say they win game two of the doubleheader, say they win one of the games against Texas, that's not that big of an ask, and then all of a sudden they're nine and seven. And they're ahead of Tampa, and they're quite a bit ahead of the Yanks. And it's like you're right up there with Boston, who's obviously going to cool off. Actually, that's kind of an interesting question. Like, yeah. are the Red Sox that bad? Like, could they just you know go ahead and bullshit their way through a season if the Yanks get cold and the and they just have a down year and the Blue Jays and Rays aren't that good? Could Boston go ahead and win the division? Maybe could they? I don't know. Like, they're not are they that bad? Are they? Uh, are they gonna? I, I'm not convinced they're going to hang around for like this long. Why like, are they doing well? I'm just, I'm just looking at their page right now and it's like, so maybe you these killing it through three starts. He's got a 208 ERA. DRA. JD Martinez
1: uh, is looking like one okay. of the best hitters in baseball again.
2: Yeah. JD Martinez, the lineup consists of like, I think if the core of your lineup consists of Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, and JD Martinez, that's a pretty good three. Yeah. Like that's, that's good. And then, you know, the question for them really more so within their lineup is their pitching. And it's like I said, of all these killing it, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is back after he had some COVID issues last year. He's been quite good. But then again, I'm looking at the rest of these names and it's like Garrett Richards. He's bad.
1: Nick Pavetta's 2-0 and he is like yeah. a 3.6 ADRA. Can he
2: keep even that up? I don't know. Yeah. And you're looking at only like two or five starters here where you're confident in them. And even then, like if Nate Yavaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez are your two guys, that's a pretty ugly look. So I, I I think I'm going to take it back. I'm not comfortable. The Red Sox can win the division anymore. I was but, for 15 seconds and now I'm not. If if we like us
1: as Jays fans, if we're going to sit there and be like, Oh, well Rodriguez or like better <laughs> keep it up. I'm sure a Red Sox podcast somewhere out there is sitting there being like fucking Steven Matz isn't keeping this shit yeah, up. Like Steve Robbie Mads, Ray's Robbie not Ray going to have Ray another
2: like, good start. Like, yeah, no, hundred percent. That's fair. Like they, it's easy to look at the blue Jays rotation and be like, Come on, that's yeah. a joke. But, but I, I do think the Red
1: Sox will hang around in this conversation for longer than I thought thing, they
2: would. Yeah.
1: But I mean, this is still a team like this. This feels more like a hot streak for the Red Sox. We're like, they lost three in a row to the Orioles. Like they lost <laughs> that series finale 11-3. And then they just like got fucking stupid hot with the bats. Like that series against the Rays, they have 26 runs in three games. Like they, they found yeah. their rhythm for a bit. And I think they're a group that will get cold again soon. Um,
2: yeah. So their their win streak was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine game winning streak after they got mm-hmm. swept. So like you said, they swept the the Rays with some insane hitting, and then they swept the Orioles. That doesn't really count. The Orioles are bad. Yeah. And then they took three or four against the Twins. Twins aren't that bad. They're okay. Yeah. Uh, and then today they lost two games to the White Sox. So it's like maybe they're coming back down to earth a little bit here.
1: Maybe potentially and, and hopefully they're coming back down to earth at the right time because this ties nicely into our series preview for what's coming up here against the Red Sox and the Jays are going to avoid Yavaldi. He's going on or tonight, I guess Monday night against the White Sox and they're going up against Lucas Giolito as well. So like it could very well be a third straight loss for the for the Red Sox and that game is like bright and early as well. I think yeah, like eleven o'clock Eastern time. I'm reading right now. Going
2: up against Eduardo Rodriguez. I think they have scheduled. It would be Rodriguez, and if everything stays the same, it'd be Rodriguez and Garrett Richards. So
1: Rodriguez is having a decent year, though.
2: Like yeah, he's pretty
1: good. Two and zero on the year, three point six ERA. He's pitched ten innings. He's only had nine hits.
2: Garrett Richards is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, Garrett Richards and hasn't been great this season either. He's got a whip at 1.75. So like there's an opportunity here for the Jays over the next whatever three days. Like when we talk again, Wednesday night, they're going to get a day off Monday, which is good. Rest the bullpen, all that shit. Uh, but they're going to have a chance to maybe flip this thing in the two games set against the Red Sox. And like yeah. looking back, they went five and five, I believe against the Bo Sox last year. And uh, it was a plus eight run differential. So it's a matchup they've done decent in
2: okay. last year. And but I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm never comfortable when the team goes into Fenway park. Like it's yeah. hard to be like, yeah, you're going to take two games from the Red Sox out of two in Fenway. It's just, I, I don't see it. It's a,
1: it's a big ask, but I mean, at the same time, it's a big ask to take two or three from the Yankees seemingly. And this team's this done right. that twice. So like, it feels like the Jays, are they having a problem of like, they just play to their competition a bit.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe our, our, Maybe the thing is is that we're getting all worked up about these Yankees wins, and maybe we shouldn't. Maybe the Yankees are bad. And going four and two against them so far this year is not impressive because they're dog shit. And maybe the Red Sox are good. And maybe it's 2013 all over again. The Red Sox can have this rinky dink team, make the playoffs and win the fucking World Series when nobody expected it.
1: And we're all gonna get like everyone who ripped the Mookie Betts trade is gonna have to eat shit because the Red Sox are gonna win. Well, no, you can
2: still rip that because <laughs> Mookie Betts is insanely good and getting rid of him was laughably stupid. That catch he made
1: against the Padres it's just dumb. Unreal. Unreal. So good. Um yeah, unbelievable. One player I got my eye on heading into this series against the Red Sox is Rowdy Tales. He's starting to find his bat, and this guy loves playing against the Red Sox in 25 career games against Boston. He is a 377 batting average, a 1308 OPS and he has 11 home runs in 91 plate appearances. Like this guy is basically a lock to hit a home run if he plays both games against the Red Sox. And he just, for whatever reason, like I would love to know the mental side, the psyche of like going into a matchup like that and being like, do you naturally just feel good when like you're Rowdy Telez and you see a Red Sox sweater on the mound? I don't know if there's anything into that, like sports psychology wise, but he loves playing Boston the park.
2: The park definitely caters to his bat. Yeah. And Rowdy did hit the longest home run in family history. Once mm-hmm. you remember that. And then uh, the Red Sox uh, officials lied about it. And they said it actually didn't go that far because they were upset. and They didn't want to break like Ted Williams's record or some shit like that. And they just like, couldn't handle it. But it is a fact that Rowdy Tellez has the longest home run in Fenway history. And that needs to be said like whenever possible. So that needs to be known. I
1: will clip this, this is about the 34 minute mark of the podcast. And I will put that out on the internet so everyone can share it. And yes. Everyone can know Rowdy Tellez has the longest home run in Fenway park history. Uh, what else can I have your eye on here? We talked about who's going to be coming for the, for the red Sox on the mound. Like what are you looking for from a Jays perspective?
2: Uh, Not so much from a Jays perspective, but I am actually really quite interested to see the 2021 rendition of the Red Sox. I'm actually interested to see like what their lineup looks like. And if it is like that potent and that dangerous, because I think we'll get a pretty good idea if this team's just rinky dink winning games by accident or if they're actually good. And that's kind of what I want to see is like, okay, so they have those three main guys in their lineup in the middle. You have Bogarts, Devers, and JD Martinez, but are any of these other guys, Christian Vasquez, Bobby Dalbeck, Frenchie Cordero, and Kike Hernandez is on the team now. Like, oh yeah, w- w- very very different. Alex Verdugo, like Marwin Gonzalez, very different Red Sox team than ones we've seen in the past few years. Like, are can these guys actually put something together and 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 threaten the AL East? And I'm I'm very interested to see. And I'm also quite interested to see Eduardo Rodriguez because I think him being good this year, the whole year, could it, it's it's kind of like their Steve Matz, right? Like Steve Matz slash Robbie Ray is kind of like their version of that like kind of their X factor, like if he can be good, same thing with Garrett Richards, like he's pretty bad, but like, you know, so are a lot of guys on the blue Jays, like pitchers that we're relying on. So I'm interested to see if these guys are at all legit, because I, I have this weird sinking feeling and I just can never get away with it when it comes to the Boston Red Sox, that maybe they are inexplicably good. And the Yankees being really bad would be hilarious, but what would be entirely realistic is if the Yankees were laughably dog shit this year and went like 80 and 82 and their fans melted down every single game, booing, freaking out. And then the Red Sox went and won 96 games. Cause that's just, that's just the American League East, right? Like they can't both be bad at the same time, can they?
1: That's just the way shit usually goes. Um, It'll be an interesting series here coming up, Cam. It'll be fun. I like that we're doing these after every series as well. Will it be fun? Will it?
2: Will it be fun? I'm
1: fairly Maybe. optimistic Wednesday's podcast when we recorded after the Bo Sox series. I'm, I'm optimistic. It'll be a fun pod. Maybe. Yeah. Even when today. Was not like a quote unquote fun pod, but I had a good time.
2: You just like talking to me.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'll do that again take? on Wednesday. I like that. We're doing these after every series it allows us to get a little bit more in depth here. We said we wanted to keep it around the 30 to 35 minute mark. And we blew past that. Once again here what we t-
2: how long did we talk for?
1: We're at thirty-seven right now.
2: That's fine. It's as close, long as yeah. under forty minutes. It's okay. Well, what's your okay. expectation? What are you thinking? Like one and one, two and oh, what would what what what's good? They gotta
1: go at least one and one. Yeah. And if they if they go two and oh, I will forgive them for the Royals series. Going yeah. one and one, I don't forgive you for playing bad against the Royals. You sweep the Bo Sox into it, Fenway, I'll forgive you for playing bad against Kansas City. Yeah,
2: because you 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 sweep this and you're back at five hundred going into Tampa Bay. If you go one and one, you're two games below 500 going to Tampa Bay. If you lose both these games, four I'm, games under 500 going to I'm Tampa. I'm going to go full
1: I, Neil Keith if they lose yes, both these games. I will, it
2: will melt down. I'll well, cry. Let's,
1: let's hope we don't have to go through that meltdown. Uh, thanks for tuning into episode five of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Cam, you enjoy these games coming up here against we'll the Boston Red Sox. And I'm, if I'm
2: you're nervous, listening to I'm nervous, this, I'm nervous.
1: If you're listening to this, do not forget to go check out twig and promo code nation 15. We will be back after two against the Red Sox at Fenway. Everyone listening, enjoy those ball games. Hopefully the Jays walk away with two wins and we'll have another pod coming for you halfway through the week. Episode five of blue Jays nation radio is over. Best wishes.
2: Thanks for tuning in to blue Jays nation radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an
0: episode.